Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. They take care of our air conditioning, and they'll do a great job for you as well. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, and we have guests Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the recusal of federal judges. We know that uh, right now uh, one of the justices, uh, Thomas, uh, his wife has been speaking out or about politics, and the, the question has been come up, should he recuse himself in some of the cases that are coming before the Supreme Court? Also, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is April the 6th, and on this day in 1917, two days after the U.S. Senate voted 82-6 to 6 to declare war against Germany, the U.S. House of Representatives endorsed the declaration by a vote of 373-50, to 50, and America formally entered World War I, the war to end all wars. When World War I erupted in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson pledged neutrality for the United States, a position that the vast majority of Americans favored. Britain, however, was one of America's closest trading partners, and tension soon arose between the United States and Germany over the latter's attempted to quarantine of the British Isles. Several U.S. ships traveling to Britain were damaged or sunk by German mines, and in February 1915, Germany announced unrestricted warfare against all ships, neutral or otherwise, that entered the war zone around Britain. One month later, Germany announced that a German cruiser had sunk the William P. Fry, a private American vessel. President Wilson was outraged, but the German government apologized and called the attack an unfortunate mistake. On May the 7th, the British-owned ocean liner Lusitania was torpedoed without warning just off the coast of Ireland. Of the 1,959 passengers, 1,198 were killed, including 128 Americans. The German government maintained that the Lusitania was carrying munitions, but the U.S. demanded reparations and an end to German attacks on unarmed passenger and merchant ships. In August, Germany pledged to see the safety of passengers before sinking unarmed vessels. But in November, sunk an Italian liner without warning, killing 272 folks, including 27 Americans. With these attacks, public opinion in the United States began to turn irrevocably against Germany. In 1917, Germany de uh, determined to win its war of attrition against the Allies, announced the resumption of unrestricted warfare in war zone waters. Three days later, the United States broke diplomatic relationships with Germany, and just hours after the American liner Housatonic was sunk by a German U-boat on February 22nd, Congress passed the $250 million arms appropriations bill intended to make the United States ready for war. In late March, Germany sunk four more U.S. merchant ships, and on April the 2nd, President Wilson appeared before Congress and called for a declaration of war against Germany. Four days later, his request was granted. On June 26th, the first 14,000 U.S. infantry troops landed in France to begin training for combat. After four years of bloody stalemate along the Western Front, the United, uh, entrance of the United States, uh, well-supplied forces into the conflict marked a major turning point in the war and helped the Allies to victory. 
When the war finally ended on November the 11th, 1918, more than 2 million American soldiers had served on the battlefields in Western Europe, and some 50,000 made their ultimate sacrifice lost their lives in the war. Trench warfare was just an awful thing in the First World War, a real stalemate for years of just battling between the trenches of the Allies. <clears throat> That's the story about the First World War. And, of course, the Versailles Treaty uh, followed that. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars. It certainly was anything but. Well, news here in Naples. Naples' own David Hoffman has officially achieved billionaire status. He made it onto Forbes' list of the world's richest people in the world. He debuts as number 2,190 this year. His estimated net worth about $1.3 billion. The Forbes ranking includes a brief profile of Hoffman. He's uh, 69. Uh, he's the largest commercial real estate owner in, in Naples with 42 properties. His early fortune came from an executive search firm, uh, DHR International, which he still owns. He and his wife, Jerry, moved to Naples in 2015, spending $75 million on their first purchase of commercial real estate, consisting of several buildings and a parking lot on the world-renowned Fifth Avenue South. He owns Hertz Arena and the Everblades hockey team, as well as the old Collier Golf Club, along with a slew of small local businesses he's acquired since moving to Naples, such as Stan's Coffee. The profile also includes a bit about Hoffman's humble beginnings. He grew up in Washington, Missouri. His uh, home didn't have running water until he reached high school, and his dad drove a milk truck. What a story, huh? David Hoffman and his family aren't just investing in southwest Florida. Uh, Forbes pointed out he and his wife, for example, own four wineries and 1,250 acres of vineyards in the home state of uh, Missouri. The Hoffmans met in high school and have been best friends ever since. They've had three children and 11 grandchildren. There's five other billionaires here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, uh, Shahad Khan is 71. He owns, of course, I think it's the uh, Jacksonville football team. He's on the list, number 313 at $8 billion. Reinhold Schmieding, of course, 67, came in at uh, 330 with $7.2 billion uh, net worth. Naples resident Tom Golisano, of course, Paychex fame, weighed in at 490 with with uh, $5.4 billion in net worth. Richard Schultz, uh, he's, of course, of... Uh, his uh, billion from Benita Springs slipped to 665 with a net worth of 4.3 billion, uh, and last year he sat on a uh, number uh, at 400 at 4.7 billion. And finally, there's Scott Capick, Capnick, who stands at number 2,076 with a 1.4 billion dollar uh, net worth. I was trying to think of Richard Schultz's Schultz's uh, fame. He started. Uh, Best Buy. He started. I actually have a friend who said that uh, Richard Schultz came by and installed his stereo system out of the trunk of his car and built it into Best Buy. What a story, huh? Just incredible. These what these people have accomplished. Congratulations to all of you being on the Forbes list. Well, among uh, upon the announcement that Elon Musk has taken a 9.2 percent stake in the big tech firm, uh, platform Twitter. The media reported the investment as passive, highly unlikely, given uh, Musk's criticism of the company. He's just shelled out nearly $3 billion to become the largest individual shareholder. Of course, the stock took a nice jump after he did so. Now, a few days later, it's confirmed that Musk will indeed take an active role. I'm excited to share that we've appointed Elon Musk to our board, said Twitter CEO 
he wrote uh, yesterday morning, Though through conversations with Elon Musk in recent weeks, it's become clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. I wonder if he really believes that. Because they don't see eye to eye. Musk replied uh, that he's looking forward to making significant improvements in coming months. Now the question is, what does that mean? Uh, the CEO of took over Jack Dorsey's spot uh, in December of 2020 in a move that immediately raised free speech concerns on the platform that already built itself as a reputation for silencing conservative voices, including the President of the United States. In a 2020 interview with MIT Technology Review, uh, the President and CEO said, Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment. Our role is to serve a healthy public conversation, and our moves are reflective of those things. And we believe that it is healthier public conversation. The kind of things that we do about this is focus less on thinking free speech, and but, but thinking about how the times have changed. In other words, uh, ignoring the Constitution. Musk himself has made note of Twitter's censorship practices and told the Babylon Bee Seth Dillon when they were banned that he just needed to buy Twitter as the richest man on earth at the moment, Musk's state and Twitter cost him a sum barely higher than a single percent of his massive fortune, and a takeover of the entire company is possible. Just days ago, Musk teased building a competitor Twitter, but could possibly see taking over the platform itself as being more viable. Tucker Carlson speculated as much as in response to the news on the show a couple nights ago. So whatever you think or whatever you think of Elon Musk, he certainly understands that given that Twitter serves as a de facto public town square, he wrote recently, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. And that is true, said uh, uh, Tucker Carlson. Twitter shares surged nearly 30% on the news of Elon Musk's purchase. For, so for him, it turns out to be a pretty good buy, but it's hard to imagine that Musk bought Twitter shares for an investment. He already is the richest man in the world. He doesn't need the money. Could this be the first move in a hostile takeover of Twitter that transforms Twitter into a platform for free speech? Seems that way. Elon Musk is not an orthodox conservative, but he sees the people in power with devastating clarity. A few months ago, he described wokeness that is to say, the ideology of a heart of Twitter's business operations is one of the greatest threats to modern civilization. A number of high-ranking Twitter employees have voiced their opposition to Musk having a role in the company. Hopefully they'll uh, aid this entire endeavor by quitting <laughs> and doing something else. In any event, uh, uh, Elon Musk didn't buy these shares as an investment for sure. I'm sh sure he's going to have an impact. It would be great. A lot of voices are now saying we'd like to see President Trump the Babylon Bee, and so many others back on Twitter so their voices can be heard in the town square. I'm sure we'll visit with Andrew Joppa about this a little bit later in the program. A longtime Michigan Representative uh, Fred Upton, who voted to impeach President Donald Trump over in the January 6th Capitol attack, announced Tuesday he will not run uh, for a 19th term in Congress. He's 68 and the fourth Republican who backed impeachment, who's not seeking re-election. He joins John Katko of uh, New York, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and Adam Kissinger of uh, Illinois. Even the best stories have a last chapter. This is it for me, Upton said in remarks to the House floor. In February, the moderate Upton had uh, aired a campaign ad that seemed to signal he was more likely to run. The once-in-a-decade redistricting process Put him in six-term uh, Republican Bill Weisinger, 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 
I can say this, actually, Heisinger, in the same GOP-leaning seat in the uh, state southwestern corner, Trump recently endorsed, endorsed uh, Heisinger. So uh, Upton says, that no more for me. I'm out of here. And by the way, this is, a, this is alarming. We're not going to have trouble time to uh, cover this entire story, but amid nationwide calls for giving parents more choices in their children's education, the Biden administration has quietly proposed changes that critics say will make it harder for new public charter schools to open and for existing ones to survive. On March the 14th, the U.S. Department of Education released a 14-page regulatory proposal regarding the priorities, requirements, and criteria that public charters should meet when they apply for federal funds. The department argued that uh, changes are to create results-driven policies to help promote promising practices and accountability. Under the proposed new rules, which would have been given an unusually short public comment period, uh, uh, they will collaborate with at least one traditional public school in order to pri prioritize for public funding. Specifically, a charter school seeking federal money must provide a letter signed by the public school it collaborates with, as well as a plan detailing resources it will be willing to contribute to the partnership, including curriculum materials, educator development opportunities, and transportation. This is totally absurd. This is this administration getting in the way of school choice. Hopefully, uh, this is serious business. This is a real concern because charter schools actually create competition and create better education and better choices for parents. And this is the Biden administration making one more attempt to make things more difficult for everyone. This segment of the show brought to you by the good th folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is uh, the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual liberty, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So I uh, want to talk about Clarence Thomas. He's uh, been invited to recuse himself because of his wife's political activities. It's kind of been kind of an interesting story, conveniently. Uh, the left would like to see, well, Clarence shouldn't ha- be making a, an opinion about what's happening on the Supreme Court because of his wife's views. What does the law say about recusal of federal judges? Well, there is a recusal statute that requires judges to recuse if their families could financially gain from a decision or if a reasonable observer might question their impartiality. Of course, the reasonable part of that is circular because what's reasonable depends on what the court has allowed and held in the past. And what the court holds in the past depends on what's reasonable. So Mm -hmm. there's a bit of circularity there. Now, in addition, federal judges are also subject to the code of judicial conduct, but Supreme Court justices are exempt they decide for themselves about recusal. And one reason for the exemption is this. Any lower court can substitute a recused judge with another judge. Mm -hmm. But there's nobody to replace a Supreme Court justice who recuses himself from a case. So has the Supreme Court itself weighed in on recusal issues? The Supremes issued a statement of policy back in 1993 and it was signed by seven of the justices. <clears throat> the policy says that a justice should recuse if a family member is involved in the litigation or could receive compensation from the case's outcome. Hmm. So are there instances where federal judges have not recused based on the spouse's actions? 
Yes, there are, and that's uh, that's what uh, is most interesting with the Clarence Thomas case, is the double standard that the uh, media seems to be imposing. Uh, there was a D.C. Circuit judge. This is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. You know, considered the second most uh, powerful court in the country. Uh, judge Nina Pillard, she voted not to rehear a case that required Trump to produce his tax returns in response to a congressional subpoena. The judge's husband at the time was the ACLU's litigation director <laughs> and advocated that same position in an article that he wrote reviewing the lower court's decision. Hmm. I think even a more egregious case, we had the Ninth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit that's out on the West Coast, <clears throat> Judge Stephen Reinhardt, and he, by the way, is considered to be a liberal icon. He participated in a case even after his wife, the chief of an ACLU chapter, commented on the lower court of opinion, uh, opinion and her ACLU chapter had actually submitted a brief uh, to the uh, lower court. So a bit of a double standard, I'd say. Yeah, so how did uh, Judge Reinhardt defend his decision what did the experts say about it? Well, Reinhardt wrote that his wife's views are, and this is a quote, hers, not mine. And I do not in any way <clears throat> condition my opinion on the position she takes regarding any issues. And then the ethics experts weighed in and defended uh, Reinhardt. And one of them wrote that, quote, Judge Reinhardt is not presumed to be the reservoir and carrier of his wife's beliefs, a contrary outcome would deem a judge's spouse unable to hold most any position of advocacy, creating what amounts to a marriage penalty. So one would think that what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, but not in today's political climate. It makes me wonder where Judge Reinhardt uh, slept the night he said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, didn't Justice Ginsburg participate in cases even when his family played a role? Yeah, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband, Martin Ginsburg, practiced law at a firm that represented parties before the Supreme Court. And Justice Ginsburg never recused herself. Uh, law professor Jane Ginsburg, who was Ruth Bader's daughter, uh. wrote an article about a case pending before the Supreme Court. And the petitioner in that case even cited Jane's article in the petitioner's brief. Justice Ginsburg voted for the result advocated by her daughter. Martin Ginsburg, the husband, also solved a complex tax problem for Ross Perot's company, EDS. And Perot endowed a chair named after Martin huh. at Georgetown University Law Center. And when Perot and EDS appeared several times before the Supreme Court, Justice Ginsburg did not uh, recuse. Again, seemingly a double standard when you get to Clarence Thomas. That's so interesting. So what about uh, Justice Ginsburg's uh, recusal in cases where she had already telegraphed her views? Yeah, she once donated an autographed copy of her VMI opinion uh, to the Pro-Abortion Now uh, Political Action Committee and that committee auctioned off the opinion at a fundraiser. And then later she spoke at a lecture named after herself 
for the now legal defense fund on who she served on that board uh, in the 1970s two weeks before that lecture she voted in favor of a position advocated uh, by the now legal defense fund in an amicus brief and i remember that uh, justice ginsburg made a personal attack on donald trump uh, during the 2016 presidential campaign she called him a, a faker and she criticized him for not disclosing his tax returns. She even voiced concerns about Trump becoming president. And then she sat on a case challenging a congressional subpoena for Trump's tax returns. And she decided plenty of other cases involving Trump and his uh, administration. Yeah, that's so interesting. So any other uh, th further thoughts about the recusal? Yeah, I think, you know, conservative justices have been cr criticized for speaking at Federalist Society events. Uh, by contrast, liberal justice Sotomayor, she spoke be uh, before the liberal uh, American Constitution Society without objection from the same critics. So again, the double standard applied by the press is really palpable. There's no public evidence that Jenny Thomas had anything to do with the January 6th Capitol events. She simply urged Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to, quote, stand firm against the alleged election fraud. So if and when a case comes before the court that actually involves his wife or could benefit his wife, then Clarence Thomas might opt to recuse himself. But Jenny Thomas's political activism hasn't yet crossed that threshold. This yeah. is my, in my opinion, much ado about nothing. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%, Bob. And then let's face it, I mean, Sotomayor, I mean, these these people have political backgrounds in many cases anyhow. It's not their spouse, it's them themselves that have been involved in politics and taken political positions. So, Indeed. Uh, I mean, all these justices have their own political points of view, so it, that, that seems... I, but back to the point that you made initially, I think you said the re ultimate decision about uh, whether you recused or you recused is up to the justice himself. That's right. The Supreme Court being the one court that is exempt from the uh, various ethic rules that apply to other federal judges. Thank you, Bob. Bob Levy again, chairman. That's a very interesting interview. Uh, chairman of the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. 
See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Invisible Hand is playing right now, and it's a great, a great uh, reviews at Gulf Shore Playhouse. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good, good morning, Andy. So, uh, a lot been going on, but one of the things that we've uh, kind of dropped out of the news is the approval or confirmation of uh, Justice uh, to be Kajani Jackson Brown. I just want to get your thoughts on what what, what yeah, you I think. I think you positioned it exactly. You're right, Bob. To be, I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point that she will be confirmed. Uh, before I get into that, uh, let me just give you some good news. There's not much, but I try to find it. Uh, first place, uh, Fred Upton, uh, representative uh, in Congress from Michigan, is retiring, Republican. Uh, he was one of the 10 who voted for impeachment of Donald Trump as a result of the January 6th riot. So um, I'm glad to see Fred Upton moving on. That is good news. Uh, also, the election. Uh, many people may not see it as I do, but the election of Viktor Orban, uh, a landslide victory for his fourth consecutive uh, term. Um, an incredible victory, uh, primarily because I think it may, in fact, reflect the view of uh, real Europeans, the, the people. Uh, his party, the uh, Fidesz party, took uh, two-thirds of the seats in parliament, an absolutely a dramatic victory of enormous size, with Orban maintaining a, cent, a state of neutrality as it pertained to the, to the Ukraine incursion of Russia. So I I think that is a reflection, I believe, Bob, uh, of the way the average European, the average citizens of the European countries actually feel feel about this, particularly the ones that are somewhat uh, contiguous with Russia. So uh, I've always liked Orban, not everything he stands for, but uh, to the largest extent, I've I've, uh, admired uh, his love of the Hungarian people and his willingness to fight for their well-being at uh, no matter what the criticism. So that was good news. And just one more before we move on. Uh, Elon Musk, as uh, most people know at this point, has bought uh, 9.2 share of Twitter uh, and has just uh, recently, yesterday, been appointed to the board of Twitter. Uh, it's hard to say exactly what that might mean. 
but we can position um, Musk, I, I would say, as a, a libertarian eccentric. And I don't agree with everything that Musk stands for, for example, in his uh, global warming and climate change philosophies. But there's no doubt that uh, Elon Musk would always be pushing uh, for free speech and open communication, uh, even about the issues that he disagrees with. So I think we, we maybe see a crack in the in the big tech control of information. Uh, I know Amy Klobuchar has been pushing for uh, reform in the, in the Section 230 area. Uh, for your listeners, the 230 section is the, the one that gives immunity to the, uh, the, the media platforms uh, for the content put there by third parties. Uh, what she's trying to do is make them uh, remove that immunity uh, from the from the uh, media platforms, especially in the area of published information about about health. For example, uh, it, with Klobuchar's removal of that immunity, uh, things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine uh, could be condemned, and the uh, the media big media held accountable for the publishing of information on those two therapeutics. Uh, whereas we can document that they have been successful. So uh, just just those pieces of information, the Upton situation, uh, Orban, and I think the Elon Musk situation uh, is a uh, perhaps a crack uh, in the in the uh, speech control exercised by by big tech in the in the media platform. Yeah, it's all good news. I, w- I will say uh, Orban, he, there is a lot of uh, disdain for his leadership. I mean, I, I hear liberals accuse him of... Uh, uh, repressing the press, uh, free speech, and so forth. And of course, I think we're the only country that has any kind of a First Amendment right anyhow. But irrespective, uh, he is a great leader. And you know what? He has closed borders. We could take a page out of his book with regard to how he's handling, handling the border situation. No, there's no doubt. And uh, Orban has put a fence around uh, Hungary that uh, cost, relatively speaking, nothing. Right. Uh, and has done the job quite, quite successfully. Uh, and again, I, I like leaders. I certainly admire leaders for doing their job. And their job is to serve the primary purpose of their people. Uh, serving that primary purpose, Bob, doesn't mean he's going to willfully damage other nations. But it does mean uh, if his nation does not benefit from an action, Orban will not take that action. And in, in a similar matter, uh, the position is taken by by President Trump. Right. The United States must benefit from the action before it can be taken. Yeah, no, no question. I think Orban is kind of a diplomatic Donald Trump. <laughs> he, he, he's not a bull in a china shop. He just he's very diplomatic in the way he handles issues that. Uh, and I just really admire him. Uh, with me also, by the way, I, I was made an honorary citizen of Hungary by the uh, the uh, American Hungarian group, uh, and they have a deep, deep uh, abiding uh, love, I would say, of of Orban. Uh, and I, I I've heard that consistently over his all his four terms in office, Bob. So I think he's an exceptional leader. I think he is again a a crack in the in the unified position of the European Union. And I think that is why he's going to come under such condemnation, uh, because, again, his positions, if taken uh, by other leaders, would uh, not uh, end the European Union, but would certainly diminish their their authority in the uh, in the continent. Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with regard to your comments on uh, Elon Musk, I thought you know, basically, uh, they came out yesterday, and I don't know if it was the CEO himself or just the press department of 
of uh, Twitter, but they basically said, you know, nothing's going to change with regard to our position on free speech. Well, you know what? <laughs> I don't think Elon Musk bought up those shares in order for that to happen that way. I wonder what the over and under might be for the CEO lasting more than a month. I think he might be gone pretty soon. Yeah, and by, by the way, what we do know is he, he bought the 9.2% shares recently, but we do not know uh, his prior ownership of shares. So oh. his actual ownership of shares may be more substantial than the 9.2%. And Elon Musk, you're right, absolutely right, Bob. He did not do this, invest billions of dollars merely to sit on the board for his own glory. That is not what Elon Musk does. No, not at all. I think we're going to see some very good changes. My hope is that he will reinstate uh, President Trump, uh, the Babylon Bee, and others back onto Twitter so that we can have a real town square with regard to dialogue and free speech. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's an optimism that uh, I hold also, Bob. I, you know, I, I, I don't like to get ahead of the game in these things, but I think we're looking at with Elon Musk because of his track record uh, the man uh, is seems able uh, to get things done when others thought they were impossible. So I'm optimistic this may be one of those things, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts with, uh, I, I think you mentioned that uh, Kajani Jackson-Brown will end up being confirmed. It's unfortunate that, uh, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of the important things that should be discussed aren't being discussed. And of course, all kinds of claims of racism and so forth with regard to her. Maybe we should just move on to what's happening in uh, Ukraine. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to have a few thoughts about, about Katanji Brown-Jackson before we move on. First of all, the support of Romney, uh, Romney Collins and Murkowski yeah. is the, uh, the surety that she will get, get over the top in terms of, of the vote. Uh, you know, the one that most upset me in terms of her testimony in front of the Senate uh, was her refusal to take a position on natural rights. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if your audience appreciates what that means. I, I guess most do. But uh, let me just state that natural rights says that your rights are not given to you by government, that you have them. It is perhaps the most critical element in the freedoms uh, being experienced in the United States is the presumption that since government did not give you the rights, they cannot take them away. Uh, and I, I, I hope there's an appreciation of just how critical that comment is that she made uh, in response to a question from uh, from Ted Cruz. And one more thought as before we move on. Uh, Tim Scott is being vilified, absolutely vilified, because he said he would vote against the confirmation uh, of Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, in other words, the, the lament about Scott is he was not supporting as they would have it his own kind. Uh, so Scott, voting intellectually, voting in terms of his uh, assessment of her testimony and her background, uh, he's voting against her, but somehow he is being vilified for not voting for because of her color, Bob. Yeah, just so unfortunate. Well, you know, he's he's actually based on it, basing it on policy and position as opposed to race and color and identity politics, which is the way it should be uh, good for him. So uh, let's move to Ukraine. Uh, what are your thoughts? I, I have so many thoughts, and them are somewhat in, uh, in variance from the uh, the existing uh, general viewpoint, Bob. And I never found that to be a problem, nor nor have you. Uh, I I would note, um, as far as I can see it right now, there is a far greater concern uh, with punishing Putin 
rather than ending the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the, uh, the dialogue is about uh, sanctions, confiscation of oligarch property, which is totally illegal. Absolutely, there's no, there's no legal foundation for that confiscation of the oligarch's property. Uh, and again, we're, we're looking at the potential of defining him as a war criminal. Uh, and again, if that happens, if the ISIS is ever was to uh, fulfill that, that position, defining him as a war criminal, it would end, in my estimation, any potentiality for a negotiated settlement. Uh, I feel there is almost nothing happening from the West, particularly from the United States, that says they are looking to settle this thing, to end this thing. Right. And if it comes to the support of the Ukraine people, nothing could be more important at this moment than ending this conflict. What we are supporting, in my estimation, and I mentioned this last week, we are supporting the government of Ukraine, and that is not necessarily a negative. Uh, but on the other hand, is that the same? And in my estimation, it is not the same as supporting the Ukraine people. Uh, the continuous supplying of, of additional weaponry, more moving towards offensive weaponry, uh, I think will just uh, deepen the carnage and deepen, deepen the death in, in Ukraine. I've got other things to say about it, but let, let me get your, your Well, my, my thoughts are, uh, first of all, that... Uh, uh, everything is being, there's a spin here that's going on, quite frankly, and it's, it's very simplistic. And uh, to me, it just raises my suspicions about whether we know the whole story, and I, I'm quite convinced that we don't. I'm not suggesting that Putin is not a war criminal. I'm not suggesting that he hasn't done atrocious things in his life, including what uh, the invasion into Ukraine. You know, clearly, uh, there uh, he he's he's guilty of that. There's no question about that. The question is, what's really happening in the Ukraine? And uh, we we know that there's a Nazi element there. And I just ha have this question on my mind: Who's really responsible for some of these atrocities? Could it be the Nazis? Are they trying to stage and uh, to uh, to escalate uh, the conflict uh, in, in a chance? in a time where we may be able to have some sort of resolution or peace. I, I have these questions. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying it's true, but I'm, I'm concerned that we don't know the whole story. I, I think what you said is positioned in the, in the most appropriate of, of manners. I, uh, in my recent uh, blog, which was called Peace Criminals, Bob, uh, I said, look, I, I don't know much about what's going on over there. And I also suggest that neither do neither do we. And we is the United States government. If we look right now at the uh, reported atrocities in Buka, uh, essentially the, the State Department has defined them overtly as, as war criminal actions, genocidal actions. On the other hand, the Pentagon has said that they can give no independent confirmation of these atrocities in Buka. So we're left in that situation. And as you so astutely pointed out, when you're in the fog of war, when you're in the middle of, of a war, it is impossible uh, to accurately determine uh, where events are, are coming from and how they're being and why they're being motivated. Uh, the, the potential of the Nazi element in the uh, in the uh, Ukraine military, the ex-militias that have been integrated into the military certainly is a strong possibility. Uh, I brought into my, my essay the concept of quay bono, which is who benefits, who for whose good does an action take place? It is hard to make a case that these actions in any way are helping uh, are helping Putin. The only people, the only group that is being uh, helped by these uh, by these atrocities in terms of the reporting of these atrocities is the Ukraine government. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're looking at a situation uh, 
first place, there's an historical precedent for this type of distortion during war. It, it happens all the time. There's right. no doubt about it. Uh, so we have to wait uh, before we get provoked by these type of, of comments. Uh, and I, I think there's too much push in this direction. I think there's a, a growing crescendo of need to uh, to damage Russia, to damage Putin, rather than to actually assist the Ukraine people. Uh, so well said, Andy. I mean, I'll just raise another concern. I mean, that what what we find is that uh, what I'm hearing is that the morale of the Russians is quite low. In fact, they thought they were being sent off to some sort of a military exercise. It turns out they find themselves in the fog of war. Uh, the, their morale is low. And uh, just it just doesn't sound like a group of people that are going to go out and slaughter Ukrainians because of their hate for them. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up to me. So uh, to me, I, just, I, I think, again, we just need to take our time and rather than get the the, the lynch uh, rope out and uh, to go after Putin and to and to 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 make decisions about this. But we need to take a moment to figure out what's really going on. Hey, Andy, I want to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. 
And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, you know, I'm... Right now, it looks to me like uh, the uh, this administration, I'm talking about Biden, wants to continue the conflict in, in Ukraine, wants to the protection. I, I see him as this is the opportunity to change the scent away from inflation, away from immigration problems and all the problems that we have here in the United States that, by the way, I think that he created. And uh, this is, I see this is his opportunity to, he, he believes, to uh, restore his credibility. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think it's also built around the historic concept of uh, you always want to keep the war president in power. It, it certainly uh, enabled um, Roosevelt to achieve his third term in office. He had been quite unsuccessful with the uh, the Depression. Most people think he licked it. It was most indicators were worse at the end of his second term than at the beginning of his first term. Right. Uh, but in any case, the war presidents tend to get they get reelected, and so I'm I'm thinking that you're absolutely correct that this is part of a of a, of a subterfuge of uh, uh, of Biden. Uh, speaking of Biden, I, and it's it's impossible that I actually experienced an emotion. I felt badly for Biden yesterday. I was watching. I don't know if you've seen these videos. I was watching videos of Obama being received in the White House. And Biden was shifted, shunted to the outside of the room. I mean, he was being ignored. He tried to gain Obama's attention by physically touching him on the shoulder and uh, holding it. And he could not even get uh, Obama's attention. The groups were forming around Obama. And, and here you have Biden wandering around the room like he, he doesn't even exist. What a, what a horrible state of affairs for a United States president to be in. Uh, you know what, uh, to me, it just evoked to me, I just found that so pathetic, the whole thought. I mean, here he can get garner absolutely no attention from anybody. He's the president of the United States. And in fact, uh, at one point, he put his uh, hand on Obama's shoulder and Obama brushed it off and continued the conversation. With it, it was it was it was amazing. Yeah, it was. And, and that particular performance yesterday has given new life to a what is always seen as a, a crazy conspiratorial theory. But I'll state it real quickly for the sake of your audience, because gosh knows what's possible in today's America. Right. Uh, that um, Kamala Harris would be removed from the vice presidency. Obama would be appointed to the vice presidential role. Um, Biden would be removed by the 25th Amendment moving Obama into the presidency for his third term in office, Bob. That is, you know, it used to be so uh, insane to even consider that. I think it's gone from insane to unlikely at this point. Well, that's kind of using Occam's razor because it, to me it looks very much like with the uh, the narrative that's coming out of the mainstream media and the Democrat Party is they're done with Biden. I mean, he's, uh, he's not getting it done for them, so I think they're ready to move on. The question is where do they go? Kamala Harris makes absolutely no sense. Her popularity, she can't even she can't even express a, a, a cogent sentence, and uh, so she's clearly not a good choice. What you what you've recommended, what you said there, is, is probably the only the only alternative that the Democrat Party could come up with at this point, in my yeah, view. I mean that. I'm sorry, but you had you had more to say. No, no. Just in my view, I think I think you're absolutely. Right. It's it's a it's it's a possibility. It's something to consider. Because where do they go from here? Yeah, I mean, there is there are so few significant um, 
statesman. Certainly, I can't think of any statesman in the in the Democrat Party that would uh, would be a a, a quality president. Uh, Obama was not, although he portrays one, and he he handled the role in terms of articulation. He handled the uh, the, the public portion of that very well. Uh, his policies were uh, were not uh, of a like nature. Uh, but I think it's it certainly may be the only alternative that the uh, the party sees at this point. So. Uh, again, I think you're right. I, I guess I'm saying I was right also to a certain extent. Uh, but it looks like they're they're formulating, they're formulating the the, the direction for the future. It, it may be a direction that they put on on the table before the midterm elections to try to perhaps. Uh, turn the direction of those that they, they are apparently going at this point, Bob. Yeah, well, uh, again, Occam's razor being the uh, the uh, simplest explanation is, is probably the most likely, and uh, I just can't imagine where the Democrat Party would go from here, quite frankly. So it's it's pretty clear to me, though, they're done with Biden. What do you think? I mean, there's no doubt that they are, right? they, but they're, they they have a they have a problem. You know, we pointed it out already, but you know, Kamala Harris is. Uh, just not able to fulfill the presidential role. She she can't handle the vice presidency, and certainly not the presidency. Yeah. Uh, but again, they have very few candidates standing in the wing that uh, that would give them the political um, pressure that they're hoping for. I, I believe uh, as we head to the to the midterms. And again, the more I'm talking to you about this, the more that that unlikely scenario that we both have just recently talked about in this conversation uh, of Obama moving back into the executive branch. Uh, maybe, uh, and gosh, I'm beginning to agree with you, Bob. It may be actually likely at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, take a look at Obama's achievements. His uh, the economy grew at two percent, GDP grew to uh, average of two percent during his presidency, and then he just uh, created so many policies and so many uh, regulations that just gummed up the economy, made it difficult to get things done. And I think, you know, I think that's the intent is right now is to move us towards more big government. That's the, to make government the center of the universe and to uh, to basically take away individual rights and freedoms. And we back to this conversation about Elon Musk. But the, uh, to me, uh, that's the direction they want to go. I think more and more, though, the American people are saying we want our individual freedom. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to the government. And uh, we want it restored. I see a populist moving, much like uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary. I think we're having that same type of movement here in the United States, and it's growing, and I think it's growing not just with the Make America Great Again uh, Republicans, but I see the tent growing substantially with middle class people from uh, the Democrat Party who literally are sick and tired of what they're seeing with inflation and and, uh, immigration and other issues here in the United States. Well, I, mean, I certainly, I certainly hope you're correct. I, I don't know whether the rejection of the current uh, Democrat insanity uh, also reflects a movement towards wiser positions. Uh, uh, certainly, they may uh, be pushing back against some of the absurdity of, of Biden, but that doesn't mean they're actually going to be supporting issues that we would see as issues of of, of conservative constitutional freedoms. I, but you know, I'm optimistic uh, in this case. Uh, I, I'd like to feel that that is going on. It's it's hard to imagine that being a total societal process uh, unless the education system, the public school educational system, uh, the universities and the uh, the media can at least be brought into a neutral status. Uh, as it stands right now, the exposures uh, our young people are getting 
um, everybody is getting to a certain extent is certainly a uh, far left, very far left uh, in its implications. Uh, so, yes, I, I think there are people that are emerging in, in the American population that support uh, individual freedoms more vehemently. Uh, but again, I don't know whether the numbers are significant enough uh, to actually make this a, a cultural change. Bob. Yeah. So do you think the there's going to be an, a, a resurgence of uh, the Omicron virus of, uh, of uh, we're moving into the 2022 election cycle right now? And I'm just wondering what the Democrats plan is right now to uh, to somehow steal or control the elections? Well, I think, you know, it's a position I've always taken on your show, always last year and a half or so, taken on your show, Bob, uh, essentially that the uh, the virus is not going to go away as long as it serves a political purpose. And I think going into 2022, uh, you know, the elections are potentially much closer than many people have, have, have believed they are. Uh, the numbers certainly favor the Republicans. I think I think the Republicans will take back the House, certainly. Uh, certainly is too strong a word, a little more likely. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I think that there are uh, numbers, statistics that show that these are national uh, numbers that are far closer in their implications. The point I'm making with that is it would not take, I believe, that much uh, to, in fact, influence those elections, either through media propaganda or uh, overt uh, over uh, implications of, of fraud. And I, I hate to bring that concept into the discussion, but I've seen nothing happening since 2020 that would convince me that these elections are, in fact, going to be handled in a manner that will ensure their integrity, Bob. Yeah, you know, we, uh, Linda and I watched the, uh, uh, the latest video that just came out uh, yesterday. We watched it yesterday about uh, the Zuckerberg, Zuckerbucks. Uh, and the influence that he had on the, uh, and I forgot the name of the uh, of the uh, release right now, but I think everybody should see it. There was a, a, a viewing at the Mar-a-Lago yesterday with the President of the United States and uh, guests who uh, viewed uh, this uh, this film. And apparently, you know, when you see it, you understand, no, th this was stolen. I mean, what, what happened was absolutely fraudulent. I, I hope somehow, someway, uh, Zuckerberg ends up paying a price for it. Well, I, I, I certainly hope that's the case. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned uh, on air, but uh, Zuckerberg took his first course in computers at my college. He lived right across the street from my college in, huh. uh, in Westchester County, and he took his first computer course. I, I'm not bragging about that. <laughs> I'm lamenting that, actually, at this point. Uh, but I, I certainly hope he pays a price. The, the damage that this man has done to the American culture, uh, society as a whole, is, is absolutely outrageous in, in uh, what's happened to us as a direct result of, of Mark Zuckerberg. Thank you, Andy. You know, uh, before I uh, let you go, is there anything else on your mind that you wanted to discuss? We have a minute or so. Well, you know, the, the ongoing issue of the, uh, the don't say gay bill as the as the left position in Florida, the, the outrageous comments. I heard that uh, Eric Adams in New York has a big uh, a billboard going up where he says, we say many crazy things in New York, but one thing we don't say is we don't say, don't say gay. So he, they're, they're building this whole uh, propaganda process to try to keep people in New York by active distortions of this bill. Anyone who believes that some ill-defined 26-year-old woman uh, in a uh, first grade, second grade, kindergarten or third grade class should be dealing with the sexuality of a, of a child's life is absolutely outrageous. Uh, it has nothing to do with gayness. It has nothing to do with 
negative negativity, homophobia. It is merely a logical thing that you do not put that kind of dialogue into the hands of someone totally ill-equipped to handle it with children of that age. Bob. No question. And, and, well, the proof of the pudding right now is that we're seeing uh, governors in red states right now wanting to get a map of exactly how they can put the same law into effect, the parental rights bill uh, that, that we've had here, have here in Florida. So I think we're going to see a spread, not a, a decrease in that that influence of that thought here in our politics. So, Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you soon, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. By the way, again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Well, that's our wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow we're going to visit with Dr. George Markovich. He's an orthopedic surgeon. We'll get a view from the trenches in healthcare. Uh, Keith Law is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. He'll be joining us as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, promises he'll have his ringer on, so we'll visit with Bill tomorrow on the show as well. You may recall yes, last week that uh, he was unavailable because of that and very apologetic. Uh, I always appreciate your comments here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you like the show, tell your friends. We always like to have new listeners as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.